Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about wanting things that God does not want for us. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to tell you about a couple of things that we have coming up at our church. In just a few weeks, the Lenten season will be upon us, the season of Lent. If you don't know what that is, let me just say that it is the time leading up to Easter. And it is a time that the global church often uses to prepare their hearts for a celebration of Easter. At Creekside, this means that we do a couple of things, and those are the things I want to tell you about. The first one is that we have an Ash Wednesday service. An Ash Wednesday service is really a time for us to remember that we are frail and that we are mortal and that we are in desperate need of God. It is the beginning of the Lenten season. If you are in our area, that service will be on March 6th. You can learn about it by going to wilsonville.church slash Ash Wednesday. But even if you're not in our area and you want to check out an Ash Wednesday service, you'll be able to be a part of that online. You just need to go to wilsonville.church slash live, wilsonville.church slash live. We hope you'll join us in person for that, but if not in person, online. The other thing that we do leading up to Easter during Lent is that we always spend some time examining the life of Jesus. We do that every year for the six weeks, kind of building towards Easter. It is one of the coolest times of year, I think, in our church as we really just intentionally think about how great Jesus is. Please make sure that you tune in for our next series, which is a series about the people that encountered Jesus and the reactions that they had to him. I really hope that that you will join us for those sermons at our church. Or again, if you're not in our area, you'll tune in online. You'll listen uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And so let me plug, as I sometimes do, subscribing to our podcast. If you don't subscribe, then you'll forget to listen. But if you'll click the little subscribe button wherever you get your podcast, then you'll be notified and reminded when we upload those sermons. And it's all free, of course. Again, thanks for taking some time to listen to this sermon. I really do hope that it will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. When I was a kid, we we really got to know my biological grandpa. My dad and my uncle grew up with a dad uh, that was their stepdad. is the, the person that they called dad, the person that was in their house. But uh, my biological grandfather was uh, an absentee father. He wasn't around at all. And I remember before I was nine years old, like going to see him on maybe Christmas and then like we'd go bowling. That's kind of this weird memory. But when I was nine years old, for whatever reason, I think, you know, God was a part of this. That He, he said, hey, I want to take you guys on a trip to Sun River. And this became something we did once a year from the time I was nine until the time he, he passed away uh, a couple decades later. And it was a good time for us to get to know him. But on one of the first years, the, the trip got longer as time went on, which was great. But on one of the first years, uh, he wanted to go on a bike ride. That's something you do if you've never been to Sun River. It's, it's very bike friendly. There's lots of great paths. There's good signage so that you can, you can stay on those paths. Uh, there's something else you should know about my grandpa. Uh, he, he was a, uh, he was a, 
a, a funny guy. I mean, the, the only way that I can really give you a picture into who he was and how he acted uh, without going into great detail with a lot of stories that we don't have time for is that I don't think any person ever asked him what time it was without him saying a freckle past a hair. Like not one time ever. I don't know that I ever knew the time when I was a kid and I was with this grandpa. He would just never give you the answer. And he would also kind of make outlandish comments that we were never sure if he really believed himself. He told us once that there was this golf teacher who was Tiger Woods teacher and he said that guy couldn't play professionally because he was too good. That doesn't sound right. And then what, what happened as, as these years went on in Sun River, which is really where we spent most of our time with him, uh, thankfully Steve Jobs invented the iPhone. And so my grandpa would make these outlandish comments and be like, well, we can look it up. And, and then the outlandish comments kind of lessened through the years because we could, we could look these things up. And so I, I tell you all that about him. He was a nice man, honestly. He was a nice guy. Uh, but I tell you all of that about him because one of the first years in Sun River, he, he said, let's go on a bike ride. And I, I should tell you that, you know, I mean, he seemed old to me when I was nine years old, as grandparents will do, but he wasn't that old of a guy. And at the time we did this bike ride, he was biking like hundreds of miles a month. He was just uh, bike and bike. He was a big uh, road cyclist. And, and so he says, let's go on a bike ride. It's my dad, my uncle, me, and my biological grandfather, Sun River, nice place to bike, whatever, we'll go on this bike ride. And I don't know how it happened, but it's some, Mike's, Mike's, my uncle is in the back, he's already laughing. At some point in this bike ride, my grandpa leading the way, leading the charge, we don't know him that well, and so we're not going to say, hey, it looks wrong, you know, where we just went. He takes a wrong turn, and we leave the nice confines of the Sun River bike trails, and we end up in the high desert somewhere. I'm not kidding you. We are going over red rocks, which I've told this story just this week. And, and my, weirdly, my geology professor from college was there. And he told me the name. But you know the little kind of gravelly red rocks that are in central Oregon? I like to think they came straight out of a volcano. I don't know if that's true. But it seems cool. We are out on these red rocks in 138 degree weather. Might not have been accurate, but it felt that way. My grandpa is riding his nice... 55 speed mountain bike that has no problem and I'm on this but probably junkier this isn't really my bike but I'm on like this type of thing and it's probably beat to crud because if you've ever been to Sun River if you don't take a bike along then you know you you end up with whatever's in the garage if you've ever gone over there if you've rented a house in Sun River and so it's probably like this but without a chain you know like nothing's working I probably don't have brakes one time in Sun River I actually flew into the woods because the brakes stopped working on one of these bikes and we're over Red Rock and I'll tell you what started is like hey let's take a 20 minute bike ride took all day long at one point, the only time in my life when I've questioned whether or not my dad loves me, and, and he tells this story very differently than me. He says, I had it, my eye on you the whole time. I remember being one mile behind the adults and thinking, they've left me. It's over. The rattlesnakes are going to eat me. And this, the vultures were hovering over my head. And the whole thing was bad. I'm on Red Rock crying. My dad doesn't love me. My grandpa's an idiot. And my uncle's going along with him and leaving me in the dust. It was horrible. My dad says, oh, you were just like 10 feet behind and I had my eye on you the whole time. Yeah, likely story. 
It ended up being 16 miles. I'm nine years old. I've only been riding a bike for like two years. Three. I don't want to make myself seem like I couldn't ride a bike early enough. I'd been riding a bike for three years. You know, my legs aren't developed. I'm not ready for this. It was horrible. And this week we're finishing a series on lust. And I know you're going, wait a minute. <laughs> how, how is he going to bring this back? But here, here's the thing. There's only one path that leads us away from lust. And that might sound obvious, but it seems like all people, when it comes to spiritual things, there's these four paths that they take to try to move forward or to try to move away from the things that are sin. If you're not a Christian person, if you're a person who doesn't even think about sin, there's, there's one of these four paths are going to be your way of just, in, in your words, I hope, of leaving the things behind that you don't want to do anymore. In this series, we said lust is wanting what God hasn't given you and doesn't want for you. And then I said last week, you can be a servant of the Lord or a slave to your lusts. And what I haven't done, maybe to a fault in this series, is say, how do you leave them behind? I mean, you look at me and you're like, hey, Chad, yeah, okay. Like, I, I don't want to want the things that God doesn't want for me and hasn't given me. That sounds great. I, I also know, uh, we all kind of know this, how much uh, we can be enslaved to our lust. Some of you experience that. Some of you feel it. Some of you came back this week because you wanted to move past your lust. But the question is hanging out there like, what do I do? What is the path away from this? Now, in this uh, series, uh, we're talking about lust because every year that I've been the pastor here, I've covered one of the seven deadly sins for three or four weeks. This was going to be four weeks, but we had snow, and so we missed the service. But I've covered one of the seven deadly sins, and almost every single time I talk about one of the seven deadly sins, there's this conversation that happens. Sometimes it happens to me. Just this week, I heard this conversation uh, to other people talking while I was listening from our church. And the conversation is one that questions, well, what exactly can I do and what exactly can't I do? I'll go all the way back to the first series on gluttony. And in that series, I said that God cares about what you eat and gluttony is not thinking about how you eat in the way that God would think about how you eat. Not eating in a way that is aimed at honoring and pleasing God. I know, you're, you have to hear the whole thing. Go listen to it. But like, people are looking at me and going, so can I have a brownie? Like, yeah. So it's not sinful to have a brownie. I don't know. But are you telling me God wants me to have a brownie or not have a brownie? Just give me an answer. And I'm like, you have to talk to God about that. It happened this week. Talking about lust and people are like, okay, how do I determine what God wants for me? Is it wrong to get on Craigslist? Is it wrong to have goals? Is it, where's the line? How do I know when it's, God is saying no and I'm saying, yeah, I want it anyway? Or, or, or it's God saying, keep going, keep pressing on. Because that's difficult. That's a weird tension. And it leaves us saying, like, how do I get rid of gluttony or greed or lust? What do I do? And I think that the answer will be seen today in, in 
looking at these four paths that the Apostle Paul puts in front of us in his writings, four ways that people try to leave their sins behind. And I'm going to tell you that three of those paths are going to be like 16-mile bike treks where you never get to where you're going and you feel like your dad, your father, has left you behind. But we'll come back to that in a second because... Because I want to just tell you up front that the the one path that will lead you away from lust, I'll just give it to you up front today, the path that will lead you away from lust is the path of love by the power of the Spirit and on the way to Christ. And and I know, just stay with me because like to me, if I was you, I'd be like, all right, that's the most cliche thing I ever heard. I wish I wouldn't have come today. I wish he would have studied and not just Googled something. But I think as we dive into the four paths that you that you're going to see that that it's far more practical of an idea than than maybe maybe you think right now. And so I want to begin. We're going to look at two passages. I'm basically trying to take two sermons and shove them into one. And so we're going to be here an hour and a half this morning. But I want to, I'm just kidding. Um, We're not going to be here any longer than normal. But I want to start in Galatians 5. And he starts in Galatians 5.13 talking about these paths. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Last week I said that real, true freedom is only found in serving the Lord. But we all kind of sense, like, from this day forward, I, I can do what I want. And the question becomes, what am I going to do with that freedom? For those of us who are Christians, we found freedom in Jesus. We think we're free from our sins. We're free from the, the penalty of our sins. We're free from the guilt of our sins. We're free from the eternal consequences of our sins. But where are we going to go from there? And that's a question that Paul's asking. I mean, if you're just starting a bike ride, this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, especially to you who are Christians, you've started in a place of freedom, but which way are you going to go? And he shows us one of the paths just right away. He says in Galatians, the the first four chapters of Galatians, really, he, he talks about this group of people called the Judaizers. And it's not going to be as clear in our passage, but that, the, the trick of Galatians and understanding this book is to know he's writing about this group of people that they called the Judaizers. And let me tell you what the Judaizers were. They were a group of teachers, false teachers, who were looking at non-Jewish people and saying, in order for you to be right with God, you must follow all of the Old Testament rules, you must look like a Jew. They were saying that your relationship, your rightness, the way that you should use your freedom is to embrace the law. The, the way that you get right with God is to embrace the law, to do the things that they'd always done, to, to, to follow the sacrificial system and to dress in a certain way and to eat in a certain way and to follow to the best of your ability the law. And Paul writes in large uh, part the book of Galatians to say, Whoa, that's the wrong path. But in the next verse, he shows us the other path, which is the kind of opposite danger. He says, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. There's an interesting word here, and this is why the bike analogy came to me. It's a Greek word. It doesn't come out in the NIV translation, but it's a Greek word that means starting point. It's a military term for your base camp. Like, this is where we start. And Paul is looking at this group of people and saying, you are starting here. And the question becomes, which way 
should you go from here? Now I know like there's a lot of starting points in life, right? Like you start life when you're born. You know, you, you go to school at one point and you, you set a direction in some ways by the friends that you choose. When you started college or you graduated from high school and chose not to go to college, there was a starting point there in some ways. When you got married, it was a starting point. If you got married, you were you're starting, you know, when you have children, it's kind of a new start. How am I going to do this raising of my children thing? For some of you, you retire and it's like this is a new start. But I would just offer like this. One of the great things about being a Christian is that today can be your starting point. I mean, we can look at Jesus any and every day and say, Jesus, I have sinned against you. I repent of those sins. Please forgive me and help me to live for you. And so I guess what I, I just want you to think about today is maybe today is a starting point. I, I, not a, you know this if you know me really well. I don't really care about you know, your past unless you know, it matters to you and you want me to care about it. But like as far as where you've been and what you've done, unimportant. What I really care about, why I do what I do on Sunday mornings, why I do what I do as pastoring this church is that I care about where you go from here. And Paul uses this word. He's like, you're at base camp. Which path are you going to choose? And the first one is that path of law, but the second one, the freedom, he says, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. So there's this, uh, this other group within this church, the libertines, as they're called. And what the libertines are teaching is, hey, Jesus died for your sins. And this is going to sound really familiar to some of you. I feel like I kind of grew up in churches where they never said it this outright, but it but it sure seemed this way. You're a Christian. Jesus died for your sins. You don't have to follow the law. You don't need to take that other path. So let me offer you a different path. Do whatever you want because you'll be saved anyway. This has been, this has been one of the great lies that has trickled into the church from like the beginning. I mean, Paul in the book of Romans uh, deals with people who are saying, hey, if God's grace increases as I sin, wow, I'll just sin more. I'll do whatever I want so that God's grace can be increased. And he says, like, your condemnation is deserved. He doesn't want to really deal with it. You know, like, come on, that's ridiculous. But we still have that tendency. Once you were saved, you were always saved. So it doesn't matter. As long as when you were five years old, you prayed a prayer, said, Jesus, come into my heart, then it doesn't matter how you're living at 35 years old or 55 years old because you're going to get into heaven anyway and there's a group in the church in Galatia that's no different than so many people today who say you're just fine everything's good it's just going to be okay do whatever you want it doesn't really matter this is an easy path to embrace. It's the path that we talked about last week in a lot of ways. It's a path where the people say there is no condemnation and so you go ahead and live however you want you go ahead and live however you want. This is normal when we've tried the path of law, is it not? To say, I'm so sick of, of trying to follow all of those religious rules. I'm so sick of trying to follow the law right down to the letter. And, and, and we see this in kids who have grown up in strict Christian homes. They leave that strict Christian home and they say, to heck with that path. I'm trying this path. I'll embrace everything. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to indulge in my flesh. If it feels good, then I'll do it because it feels good. 
And Paul here has now, I mean, just in the book of Galatians, he just lays, those, these are the first two paths you can choose. I mean, if you're thinking, here's my starting point and lust is a part of it or any of the seven deadly sins are a part of it, where am I going to go from here? Choice number one is you look at all the laws of the Bible and you say, I will just dive deeply into following those laws as best I possibly can. Number two, you'll say, I'll just embrace it. It's hard, you know, I want to do these things anyway. I'll just, I'll dive back in. I mean, it was great for a minute while Jesus saved my heart, but I'll dive back in, no big deal. I'll bike back in, that would have been a better analogy. But we're also gonna read in Colossians today, and it's really fascinating because the church in Colossae is not dealing with with the path of law or the path of the libertine, but instead they are dealing with the path of what I would call the legalist, just so it's three L's and it memorable for you. The path of the legalist. The, the book of Colossians is written in some ways to combat these legalists who are a group of false teachers saying, the way you get right with God isn't just from following the law and it's definitely not from going down the path of doing whatever you want. Here's, here's the path that you need to take. You work harder and harder and harder and you have bigger and better experiences and you make sure you're at every conference and you make sure that you are philosophically moving forward and your theology is growing and you know more than the next guy down the street and and you show him that you're giving more money to your church. That is the path you go down to leave your sins behind. You see, it's different than the law because it moves it away from the things that are written down into the things that we kind of intuitively think, this makes me more spiritual. If I just jump through these personal hoops, if I work a little harder, if I give a little more effort, then, then I can leave lust behind. It's fascinating, right? I mean, we think that the law will lead away from lust. We think that legalism, working harder, striving more will lead away from lust. And, and, and then there's this other path that kind of, you know, just says, well, I'll just, I'll just circle back to lust. We just keep circling back. Flesh, I'll do what feels good. I'll do what I want to do. And it always leads back. And we never, we never in any of those break free from our lust. What happens, what happens, and you kind of know this, is that on the path of law, you just keep you just keep messing up and it leaves you frustrated because you keep breaking the laws uh, Paul talks about this, right? Like the law in large part exists so that we can know that sin is sinful Not so that we can break free from sin. It's not there so that we can remove sin It's there so that we know sin is wrong the things that we do that God does not want us to do like lust, they're not wrong because God wrote down that they were wrong. They were wrong and then God wrote down that they were wrong. The path, the path of the flesh, I mean, we just, we're never, I mean, talked about this. Go listen to last week's sermon if you didn't hear it, but it's gonna leave us entangled and entrapped and all you have to do is think about the thing that you, I think, hear every time. Even though I've made a broad kind of definition of lust, you all, I mean, it's hard for us to not think about it in terms of, of sexual lust and sexual sin. And man, think about, think about how embracing that, just one more time from last week, think about how embracing that entraps and enslaves people. It doesn't leave them free at all. They just circle back to it even when they don't want to. And then, and then the path of the, the legalist, it's like, 
you're just tired. You're like a, you're like a kid, right? Riding on Red Rock, and, and you don't even know which way you're going, but you're working really hard, and you think, man, working really hard is not getting me a better view of Mount Bachelor, right? Like, the, working hard is not improving my life. Working hard, when your dad has left you in the dust to die, does not get you any closer to the, the house that you're staying in just leaves you tired and frustrated and I'm telling you that that if you're just a person that says well that path seems so spiritual I'll work harder I'll work harder I'll work harder you're just going to get more and more tired and frustrated and no further away from lust or any of the sins that you want to leave behind and so then Paul gives us just just the other path he says in Galatians 5, 13 and 14, Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. The first thing you need to know about the path that leads away from lust is that it is a path that humbly serves others. I would go as far as to say, love does not and cannot lust. I mean, think about it like this, like pornography. I know it's been on our heads, especially if you're a man as I do this series. Like, like you cannot look at a naked woman who was probably hurt as a child. Something led her to put that picture, to allow for that picture to be on the internet. You cannot look at that woman and simultaneously lust after her and love her. It's an impossibility. But it goes beyond just these sexual lusts, right? Like, I mean, well, we could do another sexual lust, adultery, right? Like, you cannot love the person you are committing adultery with or the person you are committing adultery against, your wife. You cannot love those people and commit adultery with them. But you can think about other things, like the lust for more stuff. Either you're going to love people and be willing to sacrifice your stuff, or you're going to love your stuff. You're going to... Sorry, you're going to love your, the people and sacrifice or you're going to lust after stuff. Those are your, those are your choices. Uh, the path away from lust is first and foremost a path of love. Like real servant love where we're actually doing something loving for people. Not just that Christian love that I do and you do. Oh, I love everybody. <laughs> what? What does that even mean? You know, I mean, I can say anything. Like, I, it doesn't matter that you say you love people. What are you doing to show people that you love them? And if you want to leave lust behind, it starts by growing in your love. But not that's that's so like metaphysical, right? Like, that's what does it mean to grow in your love? It starts by saying, "What can I do with my life to orient it around love instead of?" lust. But there's a problem with that, right? There's a big problem. We are Americans who have grown up with a dream named after our country, the American dream, that is entirely driven by lust. Sometimes God wants the things that are dictated by the American dream. He wants us to have a house or whatever. But oftentimes, the American dream, dream goes very much against the call of God. It just does. And so we have, I mean, I think we have to make a decision. We have to say, I'm, uh, wait, I'm going to put it all beside God. I don't know what you want from me. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know all that. But, but I know this. 
that what God wants for me is to walk the path of love. And so I'm going to orient my life not around the stuff I can get, not about how great I can be, not about the people I can hang out with, not about how cool people will think I am, not about the girl that I want, not about all that stuff. I'm going to orient my life in the direction on the path of love. Love. That was so powerful, something fell. (laughs) But he says this other thing. He says in verses 16 through 18, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The phrase, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, it's actually a promise. And I know because we have legalistic tendencies, it sounds like work harder to not gratify the desires of the flesh. But what it's saying is if you walk in the Spirit, walk with the Spirit, then you won't. You will not. It's a promise. You are not going to gratify the desires of the flesh. And by the way, I should point out that that word there is lust, the lust of the flesh. What Paul is saying is that the the path away from lust is a path of love. But to walk it, you need to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You need the help of the Holy Spirit. You need the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. I know that the Holy Spirit is this, this being that even if you've been a Christian a long time, it's kind of, especially in our circles, you know, kind of the church, the type of church we are, the Holy Spirit can be this, this, this thing that's in the Bible somewhere, but it doesn't really affect and impact our lives. But Paul makes a big deal out of it here saying, if you're going to leave lust, then you walk the path of love and you walk it with, or you ride it with, the Holy Spirit. So I asked the question this week, both of, uh, you know, biblical resources and my own brain. What does that mean? Like, what do I do to walk with the Spirit? And, and I don't have a great answer, um, but I have a little bit of an answer. And, and some of this might sound cliche, but, but as you think it's cliche, think about this. Am I actually, am I, am I doing these things? Like, is this really a part of my life? And, and the first thing I think that's really important, if you're going to walk with the Spirit, is you have to receive the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 3, 24 and 25, it says, those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And, and the idea for us who are Christians is, is that when we became Christians, the Holy Spirit indwelled us. But some of you might not be Christians and, and you don't have the Holy Spirit. And I'll just tell you, you can try and try and try to walk on the path of love, but you, will, you, won't, you won't succeed. I, that's not like arrogance on my part. Like I have it figured out. I just know you don't have the Holy Spirit indwelling you and helping you and guiding you. And that's the roles of the Holy Spirit, by the way. Like he gives you direction and he offers you help and he offers you encouragement and he offers you rebuke. And so it's like when you're straying from the path of love, the Holy Spirit's like, hey, that was a jerk move. And you're like, oh, I better get back over here. Hey, go help that guy. And you're like, oh, okay, I should probably help that guy. Or, or it's like, hey, I don't think I have the power to serve that person. The Holy Spirit's like, yes, Yes, you do. Yes, you do. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And if he's not inside of you, you won't walk the path of love. But, but beyond just becoming a Christian, like, I think we need to recognize the Spirit's presence in our life and listen for it. 
We don't do that. We stare at our phones for hours upon hours. And I just wonder, like, how much more would we walk with the Spirit if we shut off our phones and said, Holy Spirit, I recognize that you indwell me. And so let me hear from you, speak to me, teach me, show me, help me, do something, do something, because I'm desperate to leave the lust behind. I think it would be vastly different. You got to pray and be with God. And I know we give that lip service and like, you know that, like if you've ever been to a church, you think you should pray more, but, but I just don't think we can walk in the spirit unless we're actually praying, actually spending time. I've told my story in the past where Satan whispered in my ear at the end of a really powerful prayer time. And, and I questioned for about two years. It was very difficult for me for two years. I thought I was having a mental breakdown. If it wasn't for some of you who sit before me, I might have had a mental breakdown. But I struggled. Like, wait, was that the Holy Spirit? And somebody said to me, does it sound like something God would say? It's like, no, it doesn't. But I would have never have known that if I didn't know the Bible. And so we learn to walk with the Spirit and hear from the Spirit as we learn to, to pray and read the Bible, to hear from God, to listen to God, to ask God for our help. And then, and then we do our best to obey God. I mean, when that Spirit, when the Spirit says, hey, go talk to that guy, help that person move, be there for them, call them, pray for them, we just, we do it. We're like, okay. And that can be really hard, but that's what we have to do. So we walk on the path of love by the power of the Spirit. But in Colossians, Paul, he shows us the destination. I think it's really hard to do these things if we don't know what the destination is. Here's what he says in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This isn't just about like an intellectual aim of our lives. I think some people, some people have taken this passage and, and, and they've made it a passage about how you just think about heaven all the time or something, you know, like uh, I, 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 this just popped into my head, so forgive me if I mess it all up, but it's like you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Did I get it right? I'm just looking like I got it right. Uh, but like you're just like, oh, heaven's going to be great and, and all around you, you know, nothing heavenly is happening, <laughs> but you don't care because the golden streets are coming and it's going to be beautiful and all that. That's not what Paul is talking about here. When he says set your minds or set your hearts, notice that he duplicates kind of that phraseology there. He is talking about what the word biblical commentary says, their aims, ambitions, indeed, their whole orientation is to be directed to this fear. Fear? No. I hope you were listening. Fear is what I was trying to read. Fear. Let me read it again. Their aims, ambitions, indeed, their whole orientation is to be directed to this sphere. Psalm 110.1 is quoted here. It's the most quoted verse in the entire New Testament. And, and it talks about Jesus being seated at the right hand of the Father, or how he will be seated at the right hand of the Father, I guess. And, and what this is saying is not just think about heaven all the time. It's saying all of your life, your will, your heart, your desires, your actions, they should be aimed at Christ. 
Notice in, in these four verses, four small verses, he says Christ four times. And, and before this, in the chapter previous, he's already said, you died with Christ. He shows up here, says, you've been raised with Christ. Now he says, your life is with Christ and someday you will be glorified with Christ. Paul's saying your goal, your aim, where the path should be headed is you bringing honor, worship, glory, fame to your Savior, Jesus. But for him, the direction of the path is directly tied to your understanding of what an incredible thing Jesus has done for you. I'm telling you, you can't take the path of love and walk by the Holy Spirit towards Christ if you don't think highly of Christ. I know a lot of people who call themselves Christians that don't seem to care much about Jesus. Remember when I said my dad left me in the dust? I've said it three times now. He did. But I remember being on that bike. I remember being on that bike and I'm pedaling four miles back. I could see these little silhouettes ten miles down the road from me. <laughs> and, I, and I knew I just got to keep going towards my dad. Because in seriousness, I know that he loves me that he cares about me and that he was going to, he was going to lead us, you know, somewhere where there was food and water and shelter once again. And, and if you, if you don't think highly of Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with God where you do view him as a good heavenly father, then you're going to be hard-pressed to stay on the path of love and walk in the way of the Holy Spirit because you'll think, oh, the lust looks pretty good. Sounds pretty good. But when you have a life that is driven by an understanding and not just a mental assertion, but a passion for the reality that Jesus looked down from heaven saw that you were a sinner, that you did things wrong, the things that you regret, that you hate, that you did. He saw it. The things maybe you haven't even told other people about, he saw it. And he said, I'm not going to leave them stuck in that sin. I'm going to come down from heaven to earth. I will live without ever giving in to lust. I will live perfectly and sinlessly and I will die for their sins. And I will come back to life so that they may have a brand new life in me so that they can be set free and start at base camp again. When you embrace that, you want to keep your eyes on Jesus because you realize he's better than the law or the legalism or the lust. He's better than all of it. I'll tell you, you, you know this story if, if you... I have been around, but if you haven't, let me tell you, I've been a Christian, I'll put that in quotes, since I was four years old, um, but it wasn't until I was 17 years old that, that my eyes turned towards Jesus, and, and I, I was able to get on a different path, and, and what happened when I was 17 years old, I, I felt... I, I had a girlfriend, and I, I, I thought I needed to confess some things to her, so I did. But I was wrong. I didn't need to confess anything to her. I got home that evening after football practice or whatever, and I, I, I walked into my room, and it's like God just said to me, Chad, 
You didn't sin against Bethany. You sinned against me. And I just hit the ground sobbing because for the first time in my life, I realized how much of a sinner I was, but that was not the important part. The important part was that I realized how much it it must have hurt Jesus, what an incredible sacrifice he had to make in order to pay for my sins. And I'll tell you, I've, I've swayed I've gone to the wrong path for times. But for the most part, since I was 17 years old, half my life ago, I've been on a path of love, led by the Holy Spirit on my way to Jesus because because I love Him. And I want to go towards Him in the way that I live my life. That's what Paul is saying here. The word biblical commentary says... The way one thinks is intimately related to the way one lives. And I would say that the path that you choose determines how you're going to live your life. Now, I want to I show you a picture from two years after that bike ride from, from Sun River, Oregon. Okay, and so my grandpa, two years later, I don't know why we had developed this trust in those two years because after the 100-mile bike ride or whatever it was, uh, we, I don't know why I said yes to this, but he said... I'm going to bike up Mount Bachelor. I'm going to go up until we get to the lodge up there, uh, the ski area. And he said, does anybody want to go? My dad, my uncle, my stepmom, they're like, no chance. That sounds horrible, right? And I, I think I was 11 years old. I'm like, I'm in. I'll do that. That sounds great. And so I'm going to show you this picture. And, and First, picture my face when I was on the Red Rock and my dad had left me and think just it was not happy, right? But look at, look at this picture, if you can see it, of my grandpa and I riding up Mount Bachelor. And, and I don't know why we even have this. I didn't ask for this to be printed, but this is kind of a zoomed in one. I'm smiling. But, but here's what you need to know about the path up Mount Bachelor it's horribly hard. I mean, this, this, I don't know, we're on a flat spot here, but I mean, you're like riding your bike up like this the whole time trying to get to the top of this mountain. It is very tiring. But I'll tell you this, the, the difference between this trip right here and the one on Red Rock is that two things. We were on the right path and I knew what the destination was, and I really wanted to get there. Walking the path of love by the power of the Holy Spirit on your way to Christ is hard. I I don't want it to sound like, oh, just pick your path and go, baby. You'll be good to go. We can all go home. You'll never lust again. That sounds great. It, It is a choice to put one foot over the other to just keep on pedaling and pedaling and pedaling and pedaling and saying, I'm going this way, the way of love. And Holy Spirit, I need you. I need you. I'm trying to be in step with you. And God, Jesus, I'm aiming towards you. I tell you, I know it's easy to say amen, and not that you would do that at this church, but it's easy to, to say like, good job, or you know, this is like, I love that idea. I love that concept. But here's, here is the reality. Pay attention to this. Most Christians like the idea of walking in the way of love by the power of the Holy Spirit towards Christ. But most of their lives are driven 
by their lusts. It's so easy to say, oh, I love Jesus. I want to live for him. But ask yourself this morning, really? What path am I on? Like, am I just somebody who follows a bunch of laws? Am I somebody who doesn't care about my sins? Am I a person that just thinks I'm going to try harder and try harder and try harder? Or am I genuinely a person who has pointed their life, their life towards Jesus? I hate, I hate even saying it because I love you guys and I know you try and all that, but I would say for most Christians that I know, we like the idea of being on the path towards Jesus towards his glory, his fame, and his honor. But we're not really on it. We just kind of live. Think about the same things that the guy next to us, our neighbors, think about. The people we work with, it's all the same stuff. When can I go on my next vacation? How can I get a raise? You know, when can we buy a nicer house? When can I get a new car? It's the same stuff. And this morning, I'm asking you just to consider what path you're on. And if you're on the wrong path, I'm really just asking you to consider maybe just the Holy Spirit is talking to you and saying, hey, it's time to switch paths. And I hope you'll do that today. Not faking that you're on the right path, but saying I'll get on the right path if that's what you want me to do, God. Let me pray that that will happen. Lord Jesus, I know, God, I've been on all these paths. I, I, I mean, I've walked the way of the libertine. I've walked the way of the law. I've walked the way of the legalist. And and. Lord, they've never given me the freedom or the joy or the hope or the peace or the removal of sin that, uh, that I want. And I know, Lord, as I look out that, that Lord, uh, the people in front of me, the people who are listening online and the people who will listen online, God, they, they, they're on different paths. I hope that most of them are on uh, the path of love, God, and step with your spirit and on the way to you, Jesus. But I doubt it. And this morning, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, as people tread these other paths, I pray that you would convict them, that you would inspire them to leave those paths, to make today the starting point once again, and I pray that they would get on a path towards you, Jesus. I know from my own experiences and my heart, God, just that that's the only path that brings any level of joy and satisfaction. It's the only path, God, that's enjoyable to be on for any length of time, God. And so I pray that you would move this morning. Lord, I also know that people can lie to themselves and say, oh yeah, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm on the right path. There's no red rock here. But God, if they're not there, if they're, if they're disguising their, their path of legalism or law or the libertine, you know, with in their minds with your real path, the path that you want them on, God, I pray that you would reveal that to them today. I think one of the things, Lord, that Satan does so well is he makes people think they're on a path towards you when they're not. They feel spiritual, they feel religious, but they're not really in love with you, God. And so please, God, Remove the blinders, God, and help them to see their path for what it is and then bring them onto your path today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.